Hi, Paul Teague here, just popping up where you don't normally expect to hear me. Wanted to give you a quick warning before this episode. No particularly unpleasant words in this, but language that I wouldn't normally use in a podcast diary. So if you are listening with the kids around, you might want to just go off and slink off and listen to it somewhere else. As I say, nothing offensive in there, but uh, some language I wouldn't use normally in a podcast diary. And I just wanted to flag it up before you listen. Okay, let's get on with the music. Welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode number 100 for Saturday the 12th of May 2018. And I absolutely didn't believe that we'd ever make it to episode 100 of these podcast diaries. There's a real kind of catalogue, I guess, of my writing career to date in those diaries. I never go back and listen to them again. But actually, one of these days I might do. Maybe it's something to do in my retirement. But I'm really pleased that I started doing those diaries. And they certainly seem to be one of the most popular parts of the show. People always say to me they like the the sort of honesty uh, of it. And don't worry, I've got a little bit more personal pain for you to enjoy today in my writing journey. Uh, so, uh, you know, I try and be as honest as possible with these diaries. And, and hopefully, you know, one day we might have a writing breakthrough and I can look back on all these as it marks that kind of long, that arduous journey as uh, an indie author. But uh, hopefully uh, people who discover the podcast and listen to the diaries will uh, find the, the journey uh, valuable and, uh, you know, I guess really I ought to go back and listen to some of those early ones because I'm sure I'll be there saying I'm making $10 uh, a month. And, you know, here I am making more than that these days and it feels like you're not making any progress. But I think the the joy of journaling uh, your journey in some way, whether it's written or audio as mine is, is that you can actually chart some progress. Uh, it's all there to be seen and enjoyed in its entirety. So uh, this being the 100th episode, uh, slightly different, I'm going to kind of rattle through my author updates. I do have author updates for you this week. And then I'm going to go into this section uh, that I promised you, which is uh, 10 honest truths I may regret saying about self-publishing in two years time. And I I hope I don't regret doing this. Um, It's nothing too controversial, but I just thought it's a good time for me to just write down some thoughts, really, about where we are being as this is the 100th diary episode. So let's start with the writing news, first of all. And those of you who follow me on Twitter or Facebook will know that it's been a pretty good week for writing. Now, again, this is, you know, this is why these diaries work so well, I think, because you'll have heard me for the last, what, two months, maybe, saying that I wasn't writing. And I have been involved in, in authorly duties like editing and promoting and things like that. But I haven't been writing. And you'll also know that I was a little bit antsy about it. Well, I'm, I'm back to the writing with a vengeance now. Uh, I have literally the last five minutes um, finished writing when I'm up to, what is it, about 16,000 words, I think it is now. Uh, what's the what's the total with so many lies? Yeah, I've written 16,988 words of so many lies, which is my new thriller. Uh, started writing it, was it last Saturday, last Friday? No, it was last Saturday, wasn't it? Because my wife was at work. Um, after all this dithering and 
and wondering what the story might be. I just set to writing it last Saturday, got my first, well, I actually wrote 5,871 words last Saturday, so I had a really good writing day. It always helps when you start a new book. You're never quite sure, I think, when you start a new book, and it always helps when you you think, or you get to nearly 6,000 words, and you think, great, I got some uh, traction with this story now. It's, it's going somewhere. I got it. I got hold of it. Um, and then, so I wrote, I've written two days this week, so I wrote yesterday, and I wrote 5,641 words yesterday. And as I say, within the last five minutes, I'm doing this because I want to get it recorded before my wife gets home from work. I've just written 5,380 words. So we're, we're almost 17,000 words in to a brand new thriller novel. And this is going to be a 90,000 worder. So I've got to pace myself. The last five books I've written have been 50,000 worders. So you could be a lot more, I was, I was going to say succinct, but I, I hope I've always succinct, but uh, you could be a lot tighter with the 50,000 worders, whereas this one I can um, allow to progress at a, at a slower pace. So I keep the tension up, but I can afford to just explore things slightly more with a 90,000 worder. Um, but as you can tell, with that number of words written already, we're straight into it. Um, I, I, I will have panics and I will go down dead ends and I will have problems with that book but having gone from that procrastination that period of not being sure what I was going to write to actually having some words written now I'm feeling pretty good about it and my wife read the first well it was 6,000 words wasn't it she read those words and she's she said I'm straight into it you know I want you to write uh, some more which is always a good sign because my wife doesn't really like thrillers um so I always take it a good, as a good sign if, if she wants to read the, the next bit, if she as a non-thriller reader is engaged with the story. I know she's not the whole audience or the typical audience, but it does help. I'm, I'm always quite keen for her to read those first words um, because it just gives me the confidence to know uh, that I've got it, that I've got a story that is engaging uh, in some way. So there you go. We are writing again. It feels fantastic. Uh, you know, I feel I always feel invigorated when I write. I've just, well, 10 minutes now, uh, I literally made a cup of tea and sat down and started recording. So the tea's still nice and hot. So uh, it's that short a time since I finished writing. But I always feel kind of uh, elated, invigorated when I've got that writing done. I, and, and i got to tell you, you know, I don't always feel like it this morning because I'd written 5,000 yesterday. I wondered if I'd got it in me today. And uh, you just have to sit there and do the damn writing. If it, there's one thing I have learned in 100 episodes of this is you don't always feel like it. Um, frankly, today I would have just fancied swanning around and messing around in the office doing miscellaneous tasks. But you've just got to sit down and do the writing. And that's how the writing gets done. So um, that's writing, and next week I'm planning to have another 10,000 words done. So, I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? You know, it feels in a very short period of time we'll be up to 25,000 words. That's almost a fifth of that book, I beg your pardon, a third of that book um, written. But uh, if everything goes to plan, Thursday, Friday of next week, I'll be doing 5,000 words each day of my writing. I just wanted to mention that until the end of May 2018, I've just got a... Um, sort of special offer on, an incentive on, to support this podcast with Patreon. So Patreon um, is my account uh, if you want to support the podcast, if you ever feel like you've had some value for the podcast. And just to encourage you to support the podcast, I've actually uh, placed my entire uh, online self-publishing course, which is called Self-Published Academy. I've placed a link in there only for people who um, subscribe and support the podcast via Patreon. 
I've provided a, a link in there which actually gives you free access to my very comprehensive self-publishing course. And I normally sell that course, um, but it just until the end of May. So what's that? Three weeks for just for three weeks, just to encourage a little bit more take up uh, and support on Patreon. If you support me via Patreon, the first thing you'll see uh, when you when you you sort of pay and make your first contribution, it'll give you a a Patreon supporters only post, and on that post is a special link that will give you access to my online course for free. And um, you know, but that online course, it's I'm really, it's actually I'm really proud of that course. And uh, you know, we've, I've sold I've sold quite a few of them, but um, it's one of those things I, I've forgotten to do anything with. Really, I haven't really got around to do anything with it. And every now and then, you know, you make a sale, and somebody will tell you what a good course it is, and you think, oh, I completely forgot about it. And um, I'm very bad at this, as you know, that uh, very good at making things, not very good at promoting things. But I just thought, um, you know, that 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 course at some point, I guess I'll have to decide whether I'm going to refresh it or not. But I did think, look, this is a great opportunity um, to just get get some more bodies through the course, um, and also to get a bit more Patreon support for this podcast. So it's there if you think that you could use it. It's packed, packed with stuff, by the way, writing fiction, non-fiction, time management, actually how to process the books in all the various forms, you know, on CreateSpace, uh, on KDP, um, on all the other channels, Draft the Digital, absolutely everything. The whole thing is absolutely, it's, a, it's an A to Z of self-publishing, plus loads of recommended tools and resources, all the stuff that I use to get the writing done. So... Um, if you would be so good as to support this uh, podcast on Patreon, uh, there's a lovely little gift waiting for you inside there when you begin your support. Okay, so I said that I think the reason that people enjoy listening to these diaries is they they hear about my author career warts and all. And a lot of that, as you know, is painful stuff. Um, you know, sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable for me to share. You've You've been hearing over the past few weeks about me wanting this next BookBub promo and me telling you how useful the cash flow would be at this moment in time, because I think that the last BookBub promo was worth about, um, you know, six, seven thousand pounds worth of income um, over quite a short period of time. And uh, any small business could do with cash flow like that coming in. It's very handy. And so therefore, my my six months from my last BookBub application uh, was up on was it this Monday, last Monday? It was last Monday it was up. And I decided to put the application in for the next BookBub. Well, I can tell you that having one BookBub does not necessarily lead to your next BookBub. And I've had my BookBub, <laughs> try to say it, my BookBub knockback. They knocked me back this week. It was a Dear John, uh, nothing personal about it. It was just, a, nope, just, just like you normally get. So uh, I'm not getting a BookBub. Now, I will, of course, be putting it in uh, next month. I'll have some new covers on it next month. I'll have another try and I'll keep trying with the other books. And so, but it's back to the drawing board um, with BookBub. Just keep trying until you get another one. So, you know, I've got to tell you, that's disappointing because I could have done with the cash flow. But I always knew when I put it in that I wasn't necessarily going to get another one. That's just uh, life. Uh, there are people who've had to wait longer than me, um, better writers and more successful writers than me. I'm thinking of uh, Craig Martell from the 20 Books to 50K group, who is a, a huge selling author, very, very successful author. I think it took him 69 tries, I think it was. I'm sure that's correct, until he got his even even his first book, Bub. So I know how lucky I've been with just a couple of tries getting a first thriller. So I'm grateful for what I've got, disappointed for what I didn't get. But um, as always with this diary, 
we dust ourselves down and we just get back to the writing and get on with it. So um, this week, the paperback of Who to Trust arrived. Now, for my last, I think it's the last two books I've done, I most of my books, because I've been at this a couple of years now, were in CreateSpace. And I was a little bit loath to move from CreateSpace just because it's nice to have everything in, in one place. But I actually put my last book in, I think maybe last two or three books have been in the KDP Select dashboard where you can actually get the paperbacks done now. So you're not in CreateSpace, you're in the KDP Select dashboard. And I've got to tell you, I've really warmed to this. Uh, first time I tried it, I didn't, um, I was kind of disoriented and, and I couldn't find how to do the covers the way that I do the big create space. So I think I went back to create space for that one, but I've done two or three of them now and it's very easy to do. And I really love the way that the orders come through so fast. So you just, you just place an order. Uh, it's almost like a normal Amazon order and you've got the book in a couple of days time. I love that. Um, because when you, when you order proof copies through create space, I've always done the by expedited delivery, which is still at least a week, I think it's still quite a few days you have to wait for expedited delivery and you have to pay a fortune for it. It's costing you, well, I haven't done it for a while, but it must, I'm sure it's about 20 pounds. Is it 15, 20 pounds? Does that sound about right to get an expedited book delivered? So this way I'm still paying whatever it is, four or five pounds to get a proof copy delivered, but it's here in a couple of days, which is great. So I'm, I, I really like this new KDP Select uh, dashboard. Now I've got the hang of it. And as I say, I have got, I, I know phase six was in it. I'm just trying to think whether um the one before that who to trust can't remember what that was in it as well but the books are great um who to trust has come through it was processed in vellum look i know i keep saying it but i'm going to say it again absolute breeze getting that book ready in vellum and and uh, then you know publishing it looks perfect first time don't have any nonsense with these books anymore it has saved me so much time doing them in vellum so i'm really liking this i used to dread doing paperbacks but i don't anymore they're as easy now to produce as the, the Kindle files uh, are to produce. So things have really improved even in the short time that I've been self-publishing. Um, just another word about who to trust. So it's on pre-sale. It's released on the 31st of May. Um, I haven't done anything with that book at all. You know, I haven't sort of really uh, promoted it. I guess I've mentioned it in, in emails and things, but I had I saw the other day that I've got um, 42 pre-orders, which is quite nice. Uh, you know, bearing in mind, I haven't really as ever i haven't really done anything with it i think the most the, the highest number of pre-orders i think i ever had and i had worked at that was i think it was 50 for dead of night and it's 42 for who to trust without any kind of promotion or pushing on my part other than of course putting on pre-order so um i don't know what to read into that what i hope it means what i hope it means but i don't know this is that as I've got, um, I've had so many readers going through Don't Tell Meg, and hopefully it means people are beginning to follow me, perhaps, and that the Amazon infrastructure is now letting previous readers know that I got a book coming up. That's what I, I hope it is. I don't really take a lot of time or pay a lot of attention to these things, but it does feel uh, quite encouraging to me to know that 42 people would pre-order my book without me um, promoting it. So if you know more about how these things work, um, do drop me a line to let me know. But um, as I say, no big deal. I'm sure other authors have zillions of, of, of pre-orders, but in a small way, uh, that feels like a tiny little bit of progress for me. So that's my self-publishing news for this week. Uh, not an awful lot. I say not an awful lot. I'm delighted to be uh, writing to get, again. You know, that's that's fabulous news. I should just mention uh, as well that uh, before I move on to the 10 Honest Truths, 
that I recorded a podcast interview on Bank Holiday Monday. That podcast interview was with Miles Hudson. Now, Miles Hudson is one of the authors that I'm working with for this new Writing North project that I'm doing. And just to refresh your memory, um, I'm being paid. It's uh, it's contracted work, which is fabulous, for a digital product in the Northeast. And I'm paid to do um, 12 hours work, two lots of six hours work with two authors who come mainly from a traditional uh, background. They're, I'm giving them some sort of help and input with the digital side of things. And as part of the scheme, I don't do this work, but they get a website built. They have some videos filmed and edited for them. They get some uh, author headshots. And it's a really, it's really a wonderful scheme. Um, all paid for by Europe, but I won't make a comment on that because this is a publishing, uh, this is a publishing podcast. Um, and Miles, uh, when I was chatting to him, I said, Miles, I need to interview you for the podcast because, uh, he's, he, he makes an amazing kind of author, uh, income from writing physics textbooks, but he's recently ventured into self publishing. So he, he, I had to interview him for the podcast. Really, really interesting interview. Um, and a story like you've never heard in any of the interviews that I've done before, how he's making his living from writing academic textbooks. I've not talked to anybody who's doing this particular model in the past. So well worth listening to. That'll be coming up. I think it's coming up uh, first week in June off the top of my head. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, if you check any of the pages on the website at selfpublishingjourneys.com, you'll see the list the schedule for forthcoming uh, podcast interview episodes. But uh, yeah, recorded that on Monday. Anything else to report about writing? No, I think that's it for the writing. So let's move on to the 10 Honest Truths. Okay, so I've drunk my cup of tea now, and I'm ready to go through these 10 Honest Truths I may regret saying about self-publishing in two years' time. And I was just thinking about something a little bit different that I might do for this 100th episode. And I've been doing this uh, almost, yeah, it's four years now, since 2014, when I started this self-publishing journey, I thought, well, you know, I've got a few air miles now. We've done 100 episodes. I've got four years under my belt. I um, I got a few thoughts about the self-publishing industry, this career that we've all committed to. And I thought, well, um, let's share a few of those thoughts. Now, these are not necessarily uh, criticisms. They're um, sometimes just uh, statements or observations. They don't necessarily come with a value judgment, but they're just things that I think about quite a lot in self-publishing. And this is the self-publishing world, according to Paul. And why I say I may regret them in two years' time, you know, it's like the indie author who says I'd never be traditionally published. And then somebody comes and offers them a one of money and all of a sudden they change their mind. So, you know, I'm going to go through these now, but I reserve the right to change my mind on them because, well, the title of this podcast says it all. We're on a journey and we learn new things all the time. Um, but this is kind of where I am. A hundred episodes in, this is where my thinking is. And you may agree or disagree with these. That's absolutely fine. But this is kind of the state of self-publishing, according to Paul. I hope none of these will come back and bite me in the future. So number one, honest truth number one, I only care about my net income. Everything else to me is vanity. Okay, so um, a lot of people get very hung up about uh, ranking uh, and they see that as an indication of breakthrough and success. And I agree, these are all pointers. It's like what I was saying a little bit earlier earlier about getting those 42 pre-sales. They're all, I hope, signposts to improvement, signposts to success. And I celebrate them as much. I celebrate a number one free book at number one. Uh, you know, the, in the free books, I still celebrate that. But 
The only thing I care about is my net income. And I was beginning to think, am I the only one? And I heard Joanna Penn talking about this. She was talking about doing her end of year accounts. And she said a, a similar thing, that she just cares about the income. And and I, you know, I, I agree with that. It, it's nice to have the little badges along the way. I've had little also rands in competitions and things like that. Okay, they're, they're nice. They're nice signposts along the way. But the thing that's going to determine whether I can keep this up is is if whether this pays the bills or not. If I'm paying money to do an activity like writing, and I am paying because I'm paying for editors, uh, I'm paying in my time, obviously, that's, um, you know, I don't pay for that directly, I pay for it indirectly, but I'm paying for it with my life, hours of my life. I've been writing since quarter to 10, from quarter to 10 till, uh, was it quarter past one, today those are hours of my life I could have been outside in the garden enjoying the fresh air reading doing any number of things but I chose to write okay but and I'm paying for covers and I pay for freelancers if I don't make money out of this it's a hobby something that you enjoy and pay for that doesn't turn a profit is a hobby I do not want to be a hobby writer when I was a teenager, I used to write short stories for the Village magazine, and I did that without any expectation or desire for remuneration. I did it simply for the pleasure of seeing my, as they were then, typewritten stories in the Village magazine, and that was enough to give me um, intrinsic value and pride uh, at that experience. That is not enough for me as an adult. I got a family to support. Um, I've got financial commitments. And the only thing I care about, bottom line, is my net income. So I don't care if I get a number one free book. It's nice for me. I don't care if I get a bestseller badge. I don't care, um, you know, if somebody writes me a, a good review. I, I mean, I do care. I take value out of all of those things. But the only thing that pays my bills as a writer is my net income. And at the moment, as I'll go on to talk to you about later, I'm not making enough from the books. So I'm not happy. Okay, now, to say that you don't get pleasure from a great review, from a number one in a free promo, whatever it is, um, means that you're kind of not enjoying the journey. You're not getting anything out of the journey. I am getting something out of the journey. I take those pleasures. I do stop along the way to smell the flowers. But my bottom line is this is a business and the net income has to be worth it. And I understand with writing that it's a slower process. Now, if I were making widgets, I might be able to bang out one widget an hour. If I was making biscuits in a factory, I'd produce, um, we have a McVitie's factory here in Carlisle. If I was making biscuits on a production line, I'd be able to bang out, you know, hundreds of biscuits every hour, probably. I don't know how many biscuits you produce on a production line. Books are slower. This book's going to, it's going to take almost a year from conception to, to, eventual publication if I end up self-publishing it, it'll be about a year till it kind of hits the shelves so to speak that's a very long gestation period for a book so I understand that I understand that it takes a long time to produce a book it's a slightly slower process and say when I was doing digital marketing and I could create a product uh, every month uh, you know a substantial product every month this is slower but bottom line is it has to yield a respectable net income if it doesn't it's just a hobby. So honest truth number two, I view writing to market 
as a soul-sucking prospect. You've got to love what you're writing. Now, I'm familiar with all the writing to market stuff, and I see adverts for, you know, be a writer um, and, and write articles for money. And to me, that would be like a living death. You know, somebody saying, write an article about origami. Give me 500 words about origami, Paul. Um, that would be like a living death to me. Um, I don't want to write like that. I don't want to write to order. And whilst I know that as an author, I can't write stuff that has no appeal at all, writing to market to me is a soul-sucking prospect. So for me to say, you know, romance is big. Uh, I want to, it's werewolf and Viking rom uh, romances or something like that are really big at the moment. Let's write a book about werewolf Vikings who are in romance, having romances. Okay, that to me, a little piece of me would die inside if I said, look, I'm going to write that because that's what's popular at the moment. It's soul sucking as far as I'm concerned. You might just as well have a day job that you don't love if you're a performing monkey who writes for pay. Okay, I don't want to do that. Um, that's my personal view. That's me. Okay, if you may think differently about that, it's fine. Um, so I've looked at writing to market. I completely get it, but I don't want to do it. I write my books. I got to primarily write books that I enjoy and that I would want to read. So when I come back, when, I, when my books have been through an edit and I haven't looked at them for the last two months because somebody's been editing them and they come back to me and it's time for me to read them again. So I've had that cool off time. I like to read my books and feel the excitement that I that I hope a reader will will feel. So I'm not writing literary fiction, which is probably uh, more indulgent. I'm writing the kind of thrillers and the kind of sci-fi that I love to read. So in that respect, I'm 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 writing to market almost my market as a reader, the kind of books that I love, Harlan Coben's, Linwood Barclays, um, Mark Edwards kind of books. I'm writing the kind of books that I love to read. So I'm writing what I think are marketable and sellable books. But I can't write just for the money. There's got to be uh, love, enjoyment, passion in there. And my view is that if you're writing for anybody else but yourself, by which I mean you're not enjoying the writing because you're you're doing it for um, you know a judge or a specific uh, audience and there's nothing of you in there you're not enjoying what you're writing then you might just as well go and get a day job at McDonald's because to me that's a soul-sucking and soulless writing experience now that might work for you right I'm just simply making a statement that that doesn't work for me and I've rejected that now what that may mean, is that I never sell enough books and that I never reach that target about net income. But somehow in my writing, I've got to find a balance between doing writing that I enjoy. I'm invigorated by the 5,000 words I've written today. I've thoroughly enjoyed being immersed in that story. I can't wait to get back to it next Thursday to think what's going to happen to the characters next time. And unless I come to my writing like that, I ain't going to write. I'm not going to write because I might as well just be serving burgers in McDonald's as far as I'm concerned. Okay, uh, honest truth number three. Remember, <laughs> you can take great pleasure in two years if any of these come back to haunt me and get quoted back at me and I have to eat humble pie because I was wrong. Okay, but this is just where I am at this moment in time. So humble truth number three. 
I think people spend far too much time fretting about the small stuff. This is probably a reason why you don't see me commenting all the time in, in the kind of uh, Facebook groups. People fret about everything. Jeez, oh, it's like fonts, book size, you know, cover colour. Um, they fret about everything. And um, I just think, how do you ever get out of bed in the morning? Because you're fretting so much. And my view is, when I look at a lot of the, the boards, is, you know, stop fussing and just get the blasted work done. Just sit down and get the writing done and tidy it up later. But, I mean, I would say that uh, the 20 books to 50K group is the best group I'm on. It's the most useful group. You get loads of information, people share. Um, but, wow, people make a big deal of some small stuff on there. So... There was a book, wasn't there? Don't was it? Don't fret the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. That was what it was called, and I I really believe that that people fret about so many tiny little things. I it's a wonder they ever get books written sometimes, and they don't see the kind of big picture. So you know I can tell you because I've done it this morning, and I've now I'm now writing my fifteenth book. The secret to writing books is to sit down and write the book. That, that's the secret. And if you don't do that, then you won't ever have a book. And you can fret about all these small things as much as you like, but all you'll be is a fretter, not a writer. Okay, so I just believe in focusing on the stuff that needs to get done. Button chair, write the book, stop the fretting. Now that doesn't mean that you don't stop to consider things, that you don't stop to get feedback, but as I said to you that the number one objective for me of being a writer is to generate enough net income so that writing will sustain me and my family, the number one objective as a writer is to write, is to write the damn books. And as we all know as self-publishers, the more you write, the more you make, the easier it becomes. So that's honest truth number three. Honest truth number four, and this is something that actually I've, experience much less as a, as a writer, as an indie author, but something that I experience more in my internet marketing life, just really because the customers were generally freebie seekers, but we get freebie seekers as authors and we pay the penalty for them as well. I actually had one this week, you know, somebody tapping me up for a free book and giving me a sob story. Um, and, 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 let me tell you what the, the kind of honest truth is first, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it. So if someone sucks the life out of you, or even looks like they will, before they even draw breath, ditch them fast. Don't let people suck the life out of you, okay? People who drain you, people who want something for nothing, people who are always asking for something else, okay? The minute they start to take the mickey, the minute it's quite clear, I call them vampires, they drink off your soul. They just keep wanting more and more from you without giving, or they steal your energy. Those people. Okay, now I had way more of these in internet marketing. They were generally kind of customers who wanted something for nothing, who expected to be rich with no effort on their part. This is one of the reasons why I left that industry. I see it much, 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 much less uh, among indie authors. But it is a lesson that I've learned, and I actually applied it this week, and I won't give specific details, but it was effectively somebody tapping me up for free books. Now, I don't know about you, but I've spent, what, maybe 15 hours this week on my writing career, 
I don't immediately get paid for that. I get paid through selling my books. Um, if you try and cajole free books from me, um, that completely negates the time that I've spent producing that content. It's like it doesn't count for anything. Okay, so don't ask me for things for free. I don't like it when people ask me for things for free. I'll offer them for free. I will offer them freely. I, I offer lots of things freely. This podcast is for free. I do two podcasts for free. I have lots of web content for free. I have lots of how-to videos on my blog and on YouTube for free. I, I offer lots of stuff for free. But I really don't like it when somebody asks me for stuff for free because what that does is it completely diminishes the time, the expertise, and the effort that you put into your craft or whatever it is that you do. So my advice to you is if someone sucks the life out of you or they look like they're about to, ditch them fast. And then this week, that person sent me an email. I looked at it and I thought, life sucker, no. And I unsubscribed them. I just unsubscribed them from my list. <laughs> Gone, all right? And that's what I do. It's instant death when that happens because I've seen so much of it internet marketing. Now, as I say, I'm delighted to say, and this is why I enjoy this industry so much, is I don't really see it very much at all in, in this industry. And it's why I love the 20 books to 50K group so much too, because you know everybody there does the work. They value the work. They value people's time and expertise. They, they get it. They get it. Uh, in internet marketing, people, a lot of people didn't get it. And that's kind of where I learned that lesson. But again, you know, this is just a kind of statement. It's the way that I... I see the world. Take it or take it or leave it. Okay, now this is one that I bet comes back to bite me. Number five, reviewers. I couldn't have done this without talking about reviewers. You've heard me rant about reviewing before. I don't review, and I don't really understand what makes people review. My wife reviews books. Okay, so I've got someone really close to me who reviews and talks to me about the reviews that she gives. I don't review. The only time I would ever review is if something was so spectacular, it took my breath away and I needed to spread the word. Or if something, frankly, was a, you know, a, it was a scam, dangerous, and you needed to warn people away from it. So only in those massive extremes would I even think about it. Even then, I probably might not do it. So and this, I think my attitude to reviews is probably about my mindset and where I come from. So with reviews, I think, who gives a damn what I think? And who am I to stand in judgment of somebody else's work? Now, sure, if I read a book, I'll read the book and maybe love it. And I, and, and I might um, reach out, say, to the author and say, brilliant book. If I didn't like the book, I'd just say, yeah, it's not for me. That's fine. Uh, and I'd just put it aside. I wouldn't write to the author to say, that was a heap of crap. I, I just, I, I simply don't understand what makes people do that. So really, the only review I would ever give is, is a positive review, which is, this was just, when I'm so enthused by something that I have to say, I've got to share that with the author. I've got to tell them just how good it was. And this was, you know, something that I always um, tried to do in management. If you think something, if you think something's good, if you think somebody's doing well, tell them. It makes people's day. Um, you know, if if you think somebody looks nice, 
tell them. But if you don't, keep it to yourself. And that's kind of, that's just kind of my rule of life. It goes back to Thumper in the Bambi movie. If you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all, or whatever, whatever the, 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 the quote is. So I, I, I generally, you know, not I'd rather not say anything than to say um, something negative to somebody. But also it's about, you know, who am I to to criticise someone else's work? I, you know, we're all flawed human beings. We're all kind of doing the best we can and muddling through the best that we can. But these negative reviews could just really, um, you know, really uh, hurt um, an author. And I just simply don't understand what motivates someone to want to put that stuff out there. I only want to put if I something positive out there if I review. And if and if and if it's not positive i keep it to myself because it's just my opinion it's just how i feel don't feel the need to share it with the world now it's interesting that netflix has now dropped their star rating because they've decided that it impacts on their bottom line so they've got thumbs up thumbs down now and i I gotta say that with reviews you can't trust people with nice things they break them and you can't trust people with reviews either because they break them now, reviews at their best could be accurate, they could be insightful, they could be intelligent, but they could also be offensive, they could be damaging to careers, they could be ignorant, and they could screw up um, fledgling authors' uh, sort of ability, their con- uh, confidence in, in continuing. Now, this is not about me and my experience, because as you know, I, I read a few reviews, you know, I, I get some fantastic reviews, and I know I get some bad reviews, I know that my mindset um, uh, is, that I don't, I'm not interested in the reviews, because you see, I, I'm going to kind of write anyway, now what I have asked uh, my wife to do, and I think this, I think it's Sarah Painter who gave me this tri- uh, trick, from the uh, the Worried Writer, I think this is what Sarah does, is to get your partner to go through the reviews, because what I do want is the constructive stuff, that I could do something about. So if somebody's telling me that, you know, I keep spelling this word wrong or, you know, punctuation's bad or, you know, something I can, something that's black and white that I could do something about. I always want to hear that kind of feedback. There's not really a lot I could do about whether you like the book or not. Um, and if not enough people like my books, I won't make any sales. And so therefore I won't be a successful writer. And that, that kind of is feedback in itself. But I simply don't understand reviewers. You know, I, I, I just really don't get it. And that's probably my problem, not everybody else's. Um, but I, I don't understand what motivates people to do it. And I certainly don't understand what mo- motivates people. To, who am I to put something negative about some work that somebody else has done? If I can't be encouraging, effusive and positive, then I'll just keep it to myself. And now, some psychologists will probably listen to this and say, you know, that's pent up emotions, Paul, you know, or whatever. But, but um, and again, you know, this is this is just... This is just a statement of opinion. We all have to deal with reviewers. This is just where I am at this particular moment in time with reviewers. And let me tell you, I am immensely grateful to people who positively review uh, my books. And and I haven't looked at my reviews for so long. I haven't got really got a clue what, what, what the reviews are. I will be, as I say, I will be getting my wife to look at them and just drawing out the stuff that I could do something with, the kind of constructive stuff from those reviews. But um, for me personally, um, you know, the offensive sort of nonsense stuff, the ignorant stuff, um, it, it, it dents my confidence. And, um, you know, I've known this for a long time on radio, that when you put your work out there, your creativity, when I was on the radio, um, you know, re- regardless of listening figures and things like that, it would only take one 
you know, horrible, sort of malicious, unpleasant uh, comment, and it would hugely dent my confidence. So I recognize that in myself, um, that that's a weakness of mine, and that's why I don't look at the reviews, even though, you know, I understand that there is some gold dust in there, and that's why my wife will be doing that review for me to screen me from the crap that, that will, that will dent my confidence and to just give me the stuff that I can use as a tool to make my writing better. And that's really what I want to get from the reviews. The rest will be determined by the sales and the sales takes me back to point number one, which is my bottom line, my net income. If I can't generate enough net income from this, uh, that it's a hobby. And if it's a hobby, I have to consider whether I want to continue it. Maybe I just don't have the skill that's required to make enough net income um, from this industry. And at some point, we'll have to call it a day if I don't. Otherwise, I've got a very expensive hobby. Okay, so point number six, GDPR. <laughs> the delivery of GDPR has been the biggest pile of poop since the millennium bug. The, cons the uh, cookie consent rule that we all had to do, and the, VA the VAT moss on digital products, okay? It's a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And they scare the wits out of us, so we're all running around like headless chickens, but they don't deliver clear and precise instruction. The contortions and panics that everybody's going through is close to apocalyptic at the moment. It's absolutely ridiculous. It was the same with cookie consent. It was the same with VAT moss. And those of you who are old enough to remember the millennium bug, it was the same with the millennium bug. We, we've been driven to such a crazy sort of level with the millennium bug that it really was a possibility that the world might end on the sort of change of the millennium. It was absolutely ridiculous. GDPR has been exactly the same. Everybody on every street corner is a GDPR expert. We've got advice, we've got misadvice. No one really knows what to do. And it's all the blooming fault of the ICO, you know, the government, the the, the rule makers, because they announce these things, they make these changes and their delivery and information is misleading and it, um, it confuses, it obfuscates what's going on. And all we want to know is, what's the change? What specifically do I have to do? Specifically, do I have to do? Now, I went to a GDPR session last week in, in Carlisle with, with experts, I, with, with a guy who actually, I think, I'm just trying to think who he works with. I think he's done some work with the ICO on, on this, this sort of very GDPR sort of legislation. Sure, sure he said that. I've also listened uh, with, to, with great care and attentiveness to the brilliant uh, interview that James Blatch and Mark Dawson did for the self-publishing formula. I highly recommend you listen to that if you are an author. And the conclusion from the experts is that we don't really know. All we could do is interpret this with the knowledge that we've got. And we'll need a couple of test cases to determine what's right and what's wrong. Well, that's a pile of poop, okay? That's a, that's a badly delivered pile of poop, as far as I'm concerned. And here they are, waving this great stick at us. We're all terrified of getting fines and things like that, right? You couldn't, excuse my language, I am going to put an explicit on this one, but they couldn't deliver a piss-up in a brewery, to coin a UK phrase, okay? Um, 
this is about, and you know, I've been a manager. It's about clear direction and communication. As a manager, if you don't tell people what you want precisely, they're incapable of delivering what you want. It becomes a case of guess what's in my head. And that's what GDPR is. It's guess what's inside the information commissioner offices, whatever it is, the ICO's head. That's what it's become. And we're all taking a pot shot and a guess. We all want to be, we all get the principle of it. We all know how important privacy is. I'm not arguing against the GDPR. I'm arguing against the delivery of it. We're all terrified of getting fines. We're all trying to do the right thing. But can we get some prescriptive help with this? No, we can't. All we can get is ifs, buts, maybes, and gray space. Okay, So it's been a big cock up, the delivery of this. We're all trying to do the right thing. I'm going to spend this weekend doing, having listened to Mark Dawson. Thank goodness that Mark Dawson's done that. I also know that um, Nick, what's his face? The guy who does the emails. He's also done an interview, which I've downloaded and I will listen to. And then I will make my best judgment based on that information. And thank you to Nick and thank you to, for Mark for doing, for doing that and providing that for us. But even Mark in his interview was saying, and he's got a legal background, him and James even were disagreeing, having got a blooming lawyer on to talk about it. Okay, no one knows. And yet here's this big stick and we're all terrified of getting a fine and we're all trying to do our best. All right. So they couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery. It's been terribly delivered. Now, that's just a statement. It's my opinion. Um, and I may live to regret that. <laughs> particularly if they now come and find me because I've done it wrong, okay? But we're just small businesses doing our best to remain compliant. And frankly, we've had no help from them and no clear guidance as far as I'm concerned. Thank goodness for people like Mark Dawson, James Blatch, and, and Nick, whatever his name is. I'm sorry, Nick, I forgot your name. Um, the, the email guy, 10,000 email subscribers guy. Check out his interview as well. Um, thank goodness they've taken initiative on that because if they hadn't, we'd be none the wiser. Okay, rant over. Oh, here comes another one. Number seven. <laughs> I did, did say this would be a little bit different. I do apologise. About to lose all my listeners, I think. So, um, the London Book Fair. Okay, here's a controversial statement for you. And I know I'm going to regret it. All right, I, but what the heck? The London Book Fair is the publishing world's most expensive coffee morning. Okay? <laughs> now, this is this is somebody who lives in Carlisle who has to pay to get a train to London and who has to pay London London prices for hotels to go to the London Book Fair. So this is from my Carlisle-centric point of view. If you live in London, you probably have a very different opinion of this, okay? But to me in Carlisle, it's the publishing world's most expensive coffee morning, as far as I'm concerned. It costs a blooming fortune to get there. And other than the networking, which I accept can be superb within the indie author community it's only because of the indie author community that i'd even draw breath to consider it but other than that as far as i'm concerned it's dead in the water it's an anachronistic um publishing industry hanging on for dear life creating uh, a big fair to convince itself that it's still important to celebrate its self-importance Okay, and from my point of view, and why I say it's the most expensive coffee morning that I could attend, um, of course I look at the London Book for every year. I did attend it, I think, the first year I was in publishing, so maybe two or three years ago. And by my own admission, I got there on the last day, so everybody had had enough, they were packing up. But my view was 
unless you've got kind of appointments there, you know, you're meeting somebody to discuss your new multi-million pound deal or whatever. It's just a lot of books on shelves that no one particularly looks at. And it's a darn good job that they haven't fully marginalised the self-publishers yet. Because if it wasn't for the self-publishing element of that, the fact that the Alliance of Independent Authors there, you know, the fact that people like Mark Dawson go there and, and uh, you know, Joanna Penner there, and you could kind of, you know, you could network with people that you recognise and know. If it wasn't for that, as far as I'm concerned, it's dead in the water. And so that's why I call it the most expensive coffee morning. Because if I was travelling all that way down to London, effectively, I would be going there to network with indie authors. It's a hugely expensive coffee morning for me. Very pleasant, but very expensive. Now, make of that what you will. But from where I am in the north of England, the travelling, the expenses that I have to do, that's my view of the London Book Fair. And yeah, of course, I'd like to go down there and, and, and meet with the Alliance of Independent Authors and meet with people that I know down there. But, you know, that's what you do on a coffee morning. You meet with your pals and have a yak. It's a very expensive way of meeting with your pals and having a yak. It's a lot cheaper for me to go to 20 books to 50k. To me, that has far more relevance in the indie author community. The event that I went to in London was the best single self-publishing event that I've ever been to. And it would take some beating. And frankly, um, the London Book Fair can't compete with it as far as I'm concerned. Okay, that's another thing I regret saying in years to come. Uh, so uh, here's another one <laughs> in for a penny in for a pound number eight self-publishing has become just like the internet and marketing arena that I left five or six years ago now internet marketing was dominated by a few big fish there's a core of big fish the kind of um you know the the, the dons in the mafia kind of lingo that you would use and everything flows through them and there's all us small fries running around, you know, trying to get a bit of the action, trying to get a bit of the glory, you know, off their backs and um, and, and generally not being able to break into the, the inner circle. And I've watched in the four years that I've been doing it, this is not a criticism, by the way, it's an observation. It's not a criticism because one of the things I would say about self-publishing is that the people who kind of control our self-publishing world do an excellent job. Um, you, you know, if you... Um, let me say a little bit more before I sort of mention names, um, because uh, I'm pretty complimentary about the people in self-publishing. It's not a criticism, it's an observation. Now, internet marketing is controlled. We all know who they are. If I said to you, who are the big fish in internet marketing, you, you'd name them all. Um, we, we all know who they are. And they all sell expensive courses, high-ticket courses, and they all sell each other's expensive courses now that was not the case when I entered self-publishing but it has become the case over four years and indeed I've stopped listening to a self-publishing podcast which I'm not like, I'm not going to mention any names because I'm, I got fed up with hearing the latest person who's got a new course out flogging it and you know we all know it we all listen to the podcast somebody's got a blooming course out that week, they appear on everybody's podcast. And surprise, surprise, they're flogging a course or they've got a webinar that's flogging the course. Now, this is not a criticism. It's an observation. But I left internet marketing because that's kind of what it was. You know, Nothing was available for free. It, um, it all led to a course, which, surprise, surprise, was quite expensive. And that, in turn, led to something else, which was even more expensive. Now, I would say, and by the way, 
I include myself in this because guess who mentioned at the beginning of this podcast who's got a self-publishing course, right? I know the game. I understand the game. This is how it works. Okay. And, but, but it is, it's like internet marketing and in that it's dominated by a group of people who fortunately use their powers wisely in self-publishing. Um, and I, I want to specifically mention, uh, Somebody like Mark Dawson, for instance, whose course cost me a lot of money, but the value in that course is immense because they just keep piling on the new courses, and I don't have to, I haven't paid anything else. I've, I paid whatever I paid for the course, and they keep piling new stuff in there. Now that never happened in internet marketing, believe you me. All right, so the value that we get in self-publishing is immense, and as I say, the people who kind of at the top uh, use their power well. In internet marketing, not in internet marketing, in self-publishing, and in the indie world of self-publishing, I'm talking about specifically. But it is an inner circle, and it's very hard to sort of break break into it in any way. I would say when you're a small small fish, when you're small fry, it's very hard to break into the inner circle. It's not a criticism; uh, it's just an observation. And the world of of indie authors feels very similar now to me as it did when I was uh, an internet marketer. It feels like it's become internet marketing all over again. Now, when I was internet marketing, people were selling high-cost, low-value courses. That is not the case in self-publishing, thank goodness. You know, hopefully that will save it from becoming like internet marketing. I think people in self-publishing, I think they are generally very aware of uh, you know authors not having a lot of money to spend and of the need to deliver good value. And I also think if somebody didn't do that, I think they'd be out on their ass very quickly within the, the author community. We'd all know about it very, very quickly. So as I say, this is not a criticism. It's just an observation that industries... I, I'm looking at self-publishing now thinking, this feels to me now like when I was back in internet marketing. It's become internet marketing. and I, And I guess... This is just a natural evolution uh, for an industry that people move into a new industry. I mean, you know, I'm looking at it in cryptocurrencies right now. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a new industry. It's a brand new industry. Somebody's got to teach people about it. I've made videos about it. So, I, you know, I am I include myself in this because I, I can see the opportunity of teaching people how to to do stuff. Um, so I, I say I just I want to make that observation. But it just I, I get deja vu when I look at self-publishing. I think this is where we were in internet marketing when I left it. And what I hope is that, you know, the people at the top continue to use their power and their influence as a force for good. Because then we'll all be better for it. So um, that's number eight. Number nine, it's a huge money suck. Self-publishing costs a blooming fortune. I've paid a fortune out for edits, for covers, for all the other crap that we need to try and get somebody to buy our lovely books that we write. Okay, don't do this if you're not prepared to stump up some cash. I frankly could have had several nice holidays with my family with what I've spent on trying to fan the tiny flame of my self-publishing career so far. All right, I've made big bets on a horse that has no form. I don't know whether I've bet on a donkey or a grand national winner. Sometimes I feel like I've bet on a donkey, um, Every now and then, I get a glimpse that it might be a grand national winner, or at least in the top three. Okay, Don't do this if you're not prepared to keep at it and keep putting money in it. You can't put crack covers in. No one will accept that now. If you use one of those crack covers that you get um, in the cover maker, 
then good luck to you. You ain't selling any books. Okay, you've got to have your books of a traditionally published standard now. I don't believe the audience has matured. Uh, only your granny will buy crap off you. Uh, nobody else will. So you've got to at least give yourself a fighting chance with high standards. And for that, uh, it's a money suck. And this is the very reason why I go out to work in a day job three days a week when I would rather not, frankly. And the reason I do it is because I'm bootstrapping the costs that come with this career. So like everybody else, I got a roof to keep over everybody's head. I got a family. I got all my domestic expenses. And I'm also bootstrapping this writing career. And it costs a blooming fortune. Okay, it's not cheap. It costs, I've paid 700 quid for edits, pay four, uh, three, 400 quid um, for covers. You could be a thousand quid in on a book before you even draw breath. Okay, so you know, don't do this if you don't have an appetite for for that. It's not a criticism again. It's an observation. It's a huge money suck. I could have spent, with the money I've spent on trying to get my books going and to make them as high quality as I can, I could have had several very pleasant holidays uh, in Spain for what I've spent on that. So that's number nine. And the last one, number 10. And I did say there would be a little bit of language in this. I, haven't, I hope I haven't been too offensive and I will put an explicit on it, but um, I'm I'm still doing crap, Okay. I've been at this four years now, almost almost to the day, actually, four years, and I'm still doing crap, okay? I'm still not earning enough to live on. I'm still disappointed with my monthly earnings. It's still way off what I need to, to sort of walk away and to let this sustain me. I'm doing crap, but I'm also doing great at the same time because I'm writing my 15th book. I took delivery of my 14th paperback. Well, I say 14th, that's my fiction. I don't count my, my non-fiction in that. I've got a great big pile of books that I've written now. I know I only count my, my fiction because that's the thing that I really want to, to get going, what I want to be known for. But I, I've got this great big pile of books now. I look at that and I think, how the hell have I written that those books? You know, even if they're a pile of pup, even if they're rubbish, I've I've written 14 books. They're there to hold. Even I look at it and think, how have I done that? And the way I've done that is by sitting down like I did this morning, <laughs> making the time to write 5,000 words at a time. And when you do that, you end up with a pile of 14 books that you could look at and say, I'm quite proud that I've done that. All right, so I'm doing crap, but I'm also doing great because I've done the work. Okay, I'm not that person who always wanted to write a book and never quite got round to it. I'm that person who don't not only wrote a book. I wrote I wrote 15, fourteen of the darn things, and I'm on book fifteen at the moment. So if I walk away from this and say I can't, going back to point number one, if I can't make an income out of this, and I and I throw the towel in, at least in my life I will have fifteen books. I got that to be proud of. Fifteen books on my shelf. You know, I did that. I did 15 times what the, the person who writes the single book did. And I love all of those stories. You know, at an intrinsic level, I've loved writing all of those stories. I love those stories. They're stories that I would want to read. I'm proud of them. And they're, you know, the best that I could do at the time that I wrote them. So as indie authors, we often have to accept that we're doing crap, 
but we also have to celebrate that we're doing great at the same time. We're doing the work, okay? A lot of people never do the work, never will do the work. We're doing the work. But I gotta tell you in number 10, and you'll know this from the diaries, you've probably sensed it from the diaries, I often feel like throwing it all in and trying something completely different. It takes real stamina to stay this course. Uh, you know, real stamina. In any other business, I think I'd have walked away by now and said, it's time to move on. This is not a goer. Now, as I said to you earlier, I understand that we're not making biscuits at the this is a biscuit factory. You know, we don't just make a widget and out it pops. A book takes a long time to come. And a writing skill. We're not just born with a writing skill. It takes time for a writing skill to evolve. So we do have to give this a certain amount of time. We can't just... It's very unlikely that we'll just jump in and be a winner straight out the sort of traps. But you need stamina for this. If you haven't started this yet, you're going to have to have some stamina. And if this was any other business, I'd have moved on by now. And I do think frequently about when is the time to quit. And that brings me kind of to the summary of all of this. As I say, you know, these this is just where I am. My very honest thoughts as an indie author. But being a successful author, I think, is about how you feel inside. That's the kind of conclusion of all of this. It's not defined by sales, reviewers, ranking, the number of books that you write. It's about how you feel inside. And you will feel differently to me. You won't mind about the net income. That won't matter to you. You'll just be proud that you wrote one book. Okay. I unfortunately am sort of cursed with this constant feeling of failure um, and of dissatisfaction, of never being good enough, of not not being good enough. I'm cursed by that and, and, and always always have been. I, I hope that there will be this imaginary point in the future when I don't feel like that. And I know because I've trained myself, you know it from the diaries, that I recognise that I must take time out to smell the roses as we go along. And I, you know, I have meals to celebrate, books. I do build celebrations in there along. But it's about, I think, being a successful author is how you feel inside. And I've got this for interviewing people, too, on the podcast. Many people are quite ecstatic that they wrote and self-published their first book. And if that's what makes you feel great inside, I, I'm jealous because I wish I wish that writing, you know, The Secret Bunker 1 had been enough for me to make me feel like a successful author inside. But I don't feel like a successful author inside still. I'm not quite sure what it would take to do that. I, I, I think that I would feel like a partial success. If I could, if I could pay my way entirely with book sales, I pro, I think I would, that's what my personal definition of success is. To, to, it, there's a little bit of vanity in there too. I, um, I'd like the net income, which is to be able to, uh, to not have to, to have anybody sort of pay me, to not to have to do work for anybody in return for pay, but for my books to, to, to fund my life that that and that doesn't have to be an awful lot of money to be honest with you so that would make me feel successful and it would make me feel successful if I felt that I had a community of people doesn't have to be huge that loved my books and look forward to my next books so that that's the little vanity element in there but I've got this kind of constant sense of this is my curse you see you may you may not suffer from this you may have written a book and that may be enough for you and I say this is not a judgment this is just a comment of where I am but I feel that constant sense of not being good enough even though the rational part 
of me. I just have to look at the shelf behind me. I see all my books on a row. You know, I know that's an achievement. I know, I know that that's an achievement in terms of productivity, in terms of grit, in terms of, of the stamina to do that. But my hope is, and you know, if we ever get to episode 200 of this, I might be saying to you, look, you know, we're, we're there. My hope is that one day that I feel a success inside about my writing. But I hope I feel that before I abandon it as a bad job. Because 100 episodes in, you know, my, writing my 15th book now, you know, I, I'm seriously looking at maybe writing this book. I got, I got another one that I'm keen to write. Uh, and hopefully I'll get that done by the end of the year. But I'm really considering in 2019, thinking about whether it's time to give it up as a bad job. And by saying give it up as a bad job, I mean stop putting all the money in to the covers and the edits, maybe to stop writing the books, but just to take the books I've got, to review them, knowing what I know now, and to make them better, and just to concentrate on what I've done to make that work better first before I produce any new stuff. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I am, 100 episodes in. Now, I don't say that to be negative, because as I say, it goes back to how do you feel inside? Uh, and I hope, I hope that at some point I will feel successful inside as an indie author, all right? But I'm not a crazy man. You, you know, I go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm paying a lot of money to produce these books. If these books don't make me money, then I have to ask myself, are you happy having an expensive hobby? You know, writing books that I know aren't going to make enough money to, to kind of pay my way in the world? Or if this were any other business, is it time to call it a day and to move on to something else? So a hundred episodes in, you know, you've heard how enthusiastic I am about writing book 15. I still enjoy, I still love the process of writing. I still get excited about the stories. Every book I launch, I have that huge hope for, just the same hope that I had um, for the first book. But it's come coming to a point and it will be probably at the end of this year when I have to say, you know, is this, does we need to pull life support on this business? Um, or, you know, do we need to reconsider what we're doing here? And I say, I don't do that to be negative, but what is it? Was it Einstein? The guy who said, you know, it's a sign of a crazy person who does the same experiment time and time again and expects to get um, uh, different results, same experiment, different results, something like that. I've misquoted it, but you, you'll know the one if you read the kind of personal development books. So there you go. That is my 10 <laughs> honest truths that I may regret saying about self-publishing in two years' time. And if we ever get to episode 200 of this podcast diary, I hope I'll be saying to you that now I feel like a successful author inside. Because if we do get to episode 200 of this diary, I'll have been at it a really good time by then. Been at it about, what, episode 200 will probably be into it about six or seven years. Okay. Now, you know, I, I know that it takes grit. When I tried to get into radio, I, I did my, I knew I wanted to get into radio at the age of 18. Didn't get employed by the BBC until 27, nine years it took me. I know it takes grit to get what you want. And then I had this lovely 18, 20 year career with the BBC after I did that. It took me nine years to get inside. And I can remember um, doing radio shows at a student radio station when I was teaching and I was just desperately trying to keep my foot in the door of radio. I dared not do this show that I used to do on a Sunday evening because I knew that if I stopped doing that show, my dream was dead because I was so desperate to get into radio 
I didn't think it was going to happen for me. I thought it was going to be over. I didn't. I just kept that last thread and I didn't let it go. And it paid off. So I know it takes grit. I know you've got to keep at it. So that's where we are. So um, I hope that I don't want that to be depressing. I want that to kind of just be informative. Hope it makes you think. Um, but I don't want it to be depressing because I don't feel like that. I feel I, I feel eternally optimistic about every book um, that I write. And I hope that comes over in the diaries too. Okay, just a couple of things to finish off with. Um, some great tweets this week. Just want to say thank you and hello to people who've tweeted where they were listening to. Um, Pip Reed, you're on some fantastic holiday at the moment, Pip. I don't, I, I don't know what this is all in aid of, but it's a great holiday. I'm very envious. Um, Pip says, listening to Paul Teague while uh, setting sail to Salt Spring Island. There's a beautiful blue sky there. I think you're on, a, it looks like you're on a car ferry or something like that. And I assume that's Salt Spring Island in the distance. I hope you're having a fabulous time, Pip, but thanks very much for Keep it up with the podcast while you're on your holidays. Um, Tim always, uh, Tim Lewis from, um, oh, Tim, what's the name of your podcast? Um, Begin Self Publishing. Yeah? Yeah, sure it is. Begin Self Publishing podcast. Yeah. So Tim Lewis, uh, recommended podcast. Uh, Tim always lets me know where he is. He usually listens to me on a Saturday. Uh, Tim was on his way to the South Coast for the weekend. Hope you caught some of those rays tim that summer over and done with now probably beautiful beautiful weekend in the uk so i hope you got some of those sun's rays at the weekend tim thank you for tweeting and then also a first time tweeter and i you know, i love this i love this when you're doing the podcast and you think you think you know everybody who's listening and then you you meet somebody new and i want to say uh hello welcome to paul hughes thank you very much for listening to the podcast paul tweeted uh, earlier in the week and he just finished a really long shift he said here's an arty shot of me at one o'clock in the morning looking knackered as I listen to the podcast diary before I take my bus back to the depot so um Paul, Paul must be a, a bus driver by the sounds of it a coach driver uh up at one o'clock in the morning blimey Paul where do you drive buses that they run at one o'clock in the morning and he says get me to bed I had a little chat with Paul um online lovely to have you here and you know you know Paul is just an excellent example of why we all do this he's got a day job his day job is demanding he's up at one o'clock in the morning so it disrupts the normal routines but in our chat uh, Paul told me that he squeezes his writing into any little gaps that he can find and that's what we're all doing we're doing the best we can in the hope that we can have success as an author I commend Paul for that and I commend you if you're doing for that if you're finding time to write in the gaps because that's all we can do Okay, next week. I know it's caused a little bit of confusion, me changing the kind of routine with the guests. I apologise for that. I was thinking about it, actually. A couple of people got in contact with me. I, I know what it's like. When somebody changes the routine on a podcast, it, it messes up your week, because I know what I'm like. On a Monday morning, I know that Joanna Penn's podcast will be there. I always download it before I walk to work, and I listen to her weekly update on the way into work. And if it wasn't there, I'd be completely disrupted. So I, I completely understand how much it's disrupted a lot of you not getting that Monday episode. I, I apologize for that. And actually, if I'd thought about it more, I, I would admit that I was, um, I, I, last weekend, I got my writing done, which I was really pleased with. And I also got my accounts done quicker than I thought I was going to. And as it was a beautiful weekend in the UK, I said to my wife on Sunday, when we got up on Sunday, I said, let's go to Weatherspoons and have a nice fry up like we used to when we were younger. So we were sat in Weatherspoons at 10 o'clock and having a huge fry up and a cup of tea and a yak. Uh, and it was, it was beautiful sunshine on Sunday. And then having enjoyed that so much and, and having cleared the things I had to do last weekend, I said, it's a beautiful day. Um, let's do something tomorrow. I don't want to just sit in my study and not, not, 
enjoy a sunny day. So we jumped on a train and went to Lancaster. And Lancaster's where we met as students and, and where we got married. And it's, you know, it's got a lot of um, lovely associations for us. And we had a wonderful day uh, in Lancaster. And I'm telling you that because it's why I didn't get my act together and uh, do a little um, insert just reminding you on Monday morning that there wouldn't be a an interview. So apologies for that. I did do it. I think I got around to it on Wednesday and thought better of it. Um, so just to remind you, I, I will, when I do the guest interviews from now on, at the end of it, I'll tell you when to expect the next interview. Um, I've always, I'll always put the schedule. If you go to the website at selfpublishingjourneys.com, if you go to the website, you'll see it on any individual page. You'll see the kind of agenda for the weeks coming up. And I'll try and remember to do it also in the podcast diaries to let you know who the next guest is and when they're coming up. So we do have a guest next Monday on the 14th of May when I'm talking to Claire Sagan. Now, Claire uh, is somebody I know through 20 Books of 50K. I met her at 20 Books of 50K. But Claire is the uh, author, the fantasy author, uh, who is who listens to these diaries and she listened to them while she was um, sewing a wedding dress and she was giving me updates and she would spend the weekends doing the dress and, and send me a little photo of the progress and she got married recently uh, we caught up at 20 books of 50k and I said I must have a chat to you as a as a debut fantasy author so um, Claire and I recorded that interview last Sunday it's running on Monday the 14th of May that will be episode 115 of the self-publishing journeys podcast 14th of May that will be dropping into your feed Okay, long one today. Sorry for that. Hope you found it informative. Apologies for any rude words that I've used. I won't make a habit of it. I just, I did say I'd use a few rude words in this one. I know they're not too offensive, but um, I know people have different thresholds um, with language. I will put a little explicit on this one because it's certainly not one to play with the kids around. But I hope you found it um, thought provoking at the very least and, and maybe sort of informative. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back to the sort of regular podcast diary next week and hopefully I'll be telling you that I'm up to 25,000 words of so many lies. Have a fantastic week of writing yourself. Speak to you next Saturday. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.